Thank you, Reverend Dr. Starks, for the prayer. Thank you, Elizabeth, and your team for leading us in worship. Uh, some of us, you can tell, we're happy to get back here, right? Pretty cool. Pretty cool. God's up to something great. It's already been fun. I, I don't know, for you returning students, maybe you haven't had a chance to meet a lot of this first-year class, but they're amazing. They're, would you say? Have you met some? Yeah. God brought us some amazing people to get to do life with. So, wow. So we're glad you're here. Uh, I want to just jump right in this morning and uh, have you turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 9. Your Bible will come in handy at Kingswood. So, uh, yeah. Luke chapter 9. I've got a little ringing in my ear, but that may be my age. I don't know what's going on just I Maybe monitors or something like that. In my Bible, in Luke chapter 9, and coming to verse 21, it says Jesus predicts his death. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone, and he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. And then he said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. For what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me in my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly, I tell you, some are standing here who will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. I want you to note particularly the verses 23, 24, 25, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to lose, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will save it. Well, I thought about uh, titling this sermon. In fact, I've even joked a little bit with our admissions team. Maybe we should say on our brochures, come to Kingswood and die. Now, I know for some people, they'd be like, yeah, I'm an adrenaline junkie. It sounds like Thrill Hill. Let's go for it. Uh, what does that mean, you know? Uh, extreme college. Let's go for that. Uh, come and die. I don't know how many people have signed up for that. I don't know how many parents would have let you come, right? <laughs> you said, hey, mom, look at this great brochure for this college. I get to go there and die. This is wonderful. Come and die. And yet, in truth, that's the call of Jesus to every disciple. Come and die. We sing about the life that we have in Christ, but the life we have in Christ is a life that we experience only when we're willing to die. Now, God's word is truth from cover to cover. I like what the old southern preacher said about it. He said, I love the Bible from generations to revolutions. Some of you haven't had Bible survey course yet. You think that's what they're actually called. You're like, no, no. He said, it's all God's truth. It's all God's word. And if you're like me and you've been in the Bible for a while, perhaps you found some favorite passages. Anybody have like a favorite verse? Like almost a life verse or something, man, in tough times I turn back, this is the verse. Whether it's the beauty of the psalm, Psalm 23, the Lord is my Oh, you know that one, okay. To the wisdom of the Proverbs, it says, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. 21 verse 5. Or the promises of Christ. Hebrews chapter 13, I will never leave you or forsake you. There's no end to the insight and inspiration of God's word. But, 
And if you've read the Bible for a while, you know this is true. There are some verses that are more unsettling than soothing, more convicting than comforting. And Luke 9, 23, 24 is certainly in that category. It's one of those hard sayings of Jesus. I think often of John chapter 6 when Jesus is speaking and he says, if you really want to be my disciple, you'll have to come and eat my body and drink my blood. And it says, many people turned away. (laughs) They're like, this is a hard saying. Don't get it too confusing. You may feel that way after you see a few of your syllabuses, syllabi. You're like, too hard. (laughs) Can I go home now? Is it too late? Oh, man. This is a hard saying of Jesus. Come, lay down your life. Be willing to die. Now, understand the context of this is in Luke chapter 9 where he's already sent them out on mission. They've already done ministry. They've already done their first assignment. They've already been out on their first practice trip. And they come back, and then on top of this amazing experience of ministry, they see this amazing miracle that Jesus does when he feeds 5,000 people. I mean, they have wind in their sails. They are feeling good. This is a great day. And then Jesus kind of bursts their bubble or takes the air out of their hot air balloon. And you'll understand more about that this weekend, right, when you see the balloon fiesta. Takes the air out of their balloon. After these high moments of exhilaration, Jesus confronts his followers. After this lesson, he's giving them the pop quiz. He questions his disciples about their perception of his identity. Who do you say I am? And then he says, who do others say I am? Who do you say I am? Jesus declares that you are in fact the Messiah. And in the light of that wonderful revelation, you would think this is the moment where they're like, yes, and the hallelujah course is going to break out and everybody's going to be high-fiving it. Yeah, Jesus and Messiah. We finally get it. And in that moment, he says, and I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Now, that is not what they had signed on for. When you are looking for somebody to follow, when you're searching out for a Messiah, you're looking for someone who will overthrow the oppressor, who will set up a righteous kingdom, and who will reward all the people who joined the band. And that's what they looked for. And Jesus is saying, forget it, guys. That's not my agenda. That is not my plan. I have come to die, to lay down my life. If your Messiah dies, guess what? No reward. Everything they'd hoped for, everything they dreamed about, isn't going to happen. And not only does Jesus tell them that he's going to die, he says, guess what? You too. You get to die. If you follow me, if you're my disciple, you will take up your cross. Notice Jesus doesn't lay this out as a suggestion or a recommendation. He is not offering them a multiple choice question or an optional upgrade. Jesus puts forward this idea of carrying our cross as the minimum standard, the fundamental requirement of being his disciple. Carrying our cross is a prerequisite for following him. It's not something we get to pick or choose. It's not something we say, well, that's good for preachers or that's good for old people. It's for us. Now, to be fair, the only way that most of us see a cross these days is as jewelry or decorations in churches, right? But for Jesus' disciples that day, there was no doubt or uncertainty about his meaning. A person carrying a cross was only headed one place, to die. The NIV Study Bible note on this verse explains the picture here is of a man already condemned, required to carry the beam of his own cross to the place of execution. Disciples from Galilee knew what this meant, for hundreds of men had been executed by this means in their region, end of quote. Jesus was calling his disciples and us to be all in, fully committed to come and die. See, when it comes to dying on a cross, there are no half measures, there are no negotiated compromises or ceasefires. Jesus, as Lord of the universe, gave his all for me. 
and he requires nothing less from me. If he's not Lord of all my life, then he is not Lord of my life. The great saints of the ages have understood this principle of, of dying to self or being all in. From the pages of the Bible to more recent history, the followers of Christ who have made the greatest impact have been those who have surrendered all to the cause of Christ. They gladly took up their cross to follow him, even if it meant their death. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was such a man. Some of you know his story. Dietrich was born into a wealthy German family. He schooled at Europe's finest universities. He devoted his life to pastoral ministry and theological education until Hitler's brutal Nazi regime rose to power. Bonhoeffer chose to stand with the resistance and was eventually hanged on April 9, 1945, literally within weeks of when Germany was liberated. He was hanged for his part in a plot to end Hitler's evil reign by assassination. One of his classic books is entitled, The Cost of Discipleship. In it, he writes, the cross is laid on every Christian. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. To what kind of death does Bonhoeffer propose that Christ is calling us? We are not allowed to simply make the cross a metaphor. My roommate is my cross to bear. My heavy course load is my cross to bear. Greek exegesis. No, I won't go there. Um, we are not allowed to minimize or trivialize the cross to being about inconveniences or irritations. When Jesus called his disciples to come and die, all but one of them would actually do it, being martyred for their faith. All of them would. James the Greater was thrust through with a sword by the order of King Herod in AD 44. Luke was hung by the neck from an olive tree in Greece. Thomas was pierced with a pine spear, tortured with red-hot plates, and burned alive in India, Thomas. In AD, Philip, AD 54, Philip was tortured and crucified by order of the proconsul of Hierapolis and continued preaching even as he hung on the cross. Matthew was stabbed in the back in Ethiopia. Bartholomew was flogged to death in Armenia. James the Just survived being thrown 100 feet down from the temple roof and then was clubbed to death by a mob. In AD 74, Simon the Zealot was crucified by the governor of Syria. Judas Thaddeus was beaten to death with sticks in Mesopotamia. Matthias, was, who replaced Judas Iscariot, was stoned to death and then beheaded. The apostle Peter was crucified upside down. John the Beloved was the only disciple to die of quote-unquote natural causes because he survived his own execution. When a cauldron of burning oil could not kill John, the Emperor Diocletian exiled him to the island of Patmos where he lived until his death, AD 95. And you can read that about those in Fox's Book of Martyrs and Mark Batterson's book, All In, and lots of other sources. So no, don't suggest to these disciples that Carrying a cross is about being inconvenienced to attend church one hour a week or to take a low-paying job because I feel called to ministry. They understood that what Christ was calling them to was nothing less than full surrender. Coming face to face with Jesus always requires a decision. Now, to the Pharisees, carrying their cross would have meant forsaking their religious traditions. They, they said, we have the law and Moses. That, that will do for us. To the rich young ruler, carrying his cross would have meant giving away his wealth. Instead, he went away sad. For some of you, carrying your cross has meant obeying Christ in his call to come to Kingswood University. 
I've had conversations with some of our incoming students. Some of who had opportunities for athletic scholarships, opportunities for full pay rides at, at some secular universities to do other things. And yet you've heard the call of God. You see, if you boil it down, the root of our resistance to becoming disciples is pride. You can call it self-sufficiency, self-centeredness, self-serving, or self-will, but there is something inside of all of us that says, I want my way. My will be done. C.S. Lewis, the brilliant scholar and author, whom if you don't know, you will come to love, I'm sure, before you leave Kingswood. He described heaven as a place where people say, Father, your will be done. And hell as that place where the Father says to people, your will be done. Ultimately, the death to which Christ is calling us is a death to self-will. He calls us to come to a place where we are willing to pray what he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, not my will, but thine be done. This same call to be fully surrendered, to take up the cross, or be all in really is the core of the Lord's prayer. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In that prayer, I'm praying, God, your will be done in my life, in my finances, in my career, in my family, not my will, but thine. Discipleship begins in a moment of decision, but it is lived out in a lifetime of surrender. Can I say that again? Your discipleship begins in a moment of decision, but it is lived in a lifetime of surrendering to God's will. People who live this way have no regrets. Sometimes it can be a little um, awe-inspiring or even uh, fear-inspiring when you think about dying out to self. But can I tell you, it's the one sure way to live a life with no regrets. Bill Borden's future was bright. At age 16, he was already one of the richest men in America, Billy Borden. He was an heir to the Borden dairy products. Any of you Americans know Borden, you know, the, the cow? Yeah, you get that? He was an heir to that fortune. For his high school graduation present, his family sent him on a trip around the world. Anybody get that? No, I didn't get that either. Okay, he got to send him on a trip around the world. But listen, as he was traveling through Asia, through the Middle East, and through Europe, Bill felt a, a, felt a growing compassion for the world's hurting people who were dying without Jesus. And he wrote home about his, quote, desire to be a missionary, end of quote. Well, his family and friends were surprised. Some were even disappointed. One friend even wrote him expressing his disbelief that, quote, Billy was throwing himself away as a missionary, end of quote. In his response, Bill Borden wrote two words in the back of his Bible. No reserves. No reserves. Now, during his first semester at Yale University, Borden started a prayer group, and thank you for those who showed up. Lindsay, where are you? Did I see Lindsay's hand here somewhere? Seven o'clock this morning. I went over and turned the lights on for you. Most important meeting of the day. Thank you. During his first semester at Yale University, Borden started a prayer group that would eventually transform campus life. By the end of his first year, 150 freshmen were meeting every week for prayer and Bible study at Yale. During his college years, Bill Borden made an entry in his personal journal that reflected what his classmates were seeing in his life. It also explains the text this morning. He wrote, say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. Say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. Well, by the time he was a senior, 1,000 of Yale's 1,300 undergraduate students were meeting in prayer groups. 
from 150 to 1,000. After graduation, Bill turned down several high-paying job offers, resolved to following his call to missions. And in, that, in his Bible that year, he wrote two more words. No retreats. No retreats, not backing up. Instead, Bill studied at Princeton Seminary in preparation for a call to the Muslim people, Kansu people group, in China. En route to his mission assignment, Bill stopped first in Egypt to study Arabic, preparing to minister to these Muslims. But while he was there, he contracted spinal meningitis. And within a month, the 25-year-old William Borden was dead. When the news was cabled back to the U.S., nearly every American newspaper carried the story. Mary Taylor, in her introduction to his biography, wrote, Borden not only gave his wealth but himself in a way so joyous and natural that it seemed a privilege rather than a sacrifice. End of quote. Later, it was discovered that just prior to his death, Billy Borden had written two more words in his Bible. Under the words, no reserves, and the words, no retreats, he had written, no regrets. Carrying your cross does not necessarily mean that you must sell everything you own and become a missionary, although it may. But it does mean, as Billy Borden wrote, saying no to self and yes to Jesus every time. Yeah, I'm not sure how many people would show up at Kingswood if we said, hey, we found the perfect place for you to come and die. But if there's something I'd love for God to do in my life and in your life this year, it's to call us to that again, afresh, anew, and for us to experience the life that can only be experienced on the other side of the cross when Jesus is Lord of all. I think about our graduates today and where they're serving. I think about Corey Doron out there at Fountain Springs, this amazing church that's growing so rapidly. He's leading worship there. Or Holly Labby down at 12 Stone leading worship on weekends up to 3,000 kids. She was just here last year, wasn't she, Holly? Yeah. Or Richard Cox and A.J. Thomas, people like that who are planting or restarting churches in tough places. I think about Carly in a Muslim village. I think about Mike and his wife serving in a country neatly bordering Iran and Russia. I think about Ryan in Meridale, who served faithfully in a small rural parish. Almost seems obscure the place they serve, but really from that place they're touching the world for Jesus through their prayers, through their giving. I think about Rebecca Miller teaching at a Christian school in the former, a former communist country in Europe. C.K. Chitty, who's directing ministry for children in a children's home down in Hepzibah, Macon, Georgia. Others who are counselors, pastors, worship leaders, Christian counselors, teachers. I don't know where God will take you from here, but I know this. If you take up your cross and follow him, you won't be losing your life. You'll be finding it. So this morning in a moment as we prepare to celebrate communion, Pastor Steve is gonna come, Dr. Elliot. But I'd love to just pray with us before we do that. Lord, with great enthusiasm, on tiptoes of anticipation, we enter this new school year. And I am so thankful for those you've called, faculty and staff and students together in this community of faith and learning. Lord, you're up to something good. We can sense it already. But it's not about our enthusiasm or our efforts. What you long for most, God, is our full surrender. That we would lay our lives before you. That we would pray daily, Lord, not my will but thine be done that we would live a life of love that's only possible in the power of your Holy Spirit.
for in the end, we want to write in our Bibles, no reserves, no, no retreats, and thanks be to God, no regrets. Thank you, Lord, for this invitation to enter into your life, the crucified life, the resurrected life, life in your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Pastor Steve.